I'll take a reading from the Satipadana Sutta in the middle length sayings. This seems to be the kind of a polished compendium. And there are certain repeated phrases in it, which are there obviously for emphatic purposes, to these recited texts, recitations, so this is bringing this message home. Certain key words are used. Bhikkhu abides contemplating body as a body, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetous and grief for the world, contemplates feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware and mindful. Mind as mind, ardent, fully aware and mindful. Phenomena, mind objects, ardent, fully aware and mindful. Contemplates body as body internally, body as body externally, body as body both internally and externally. Abides contemplating body arising factors, subsiding factors, or both, or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness, and so one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. The same refrain is used for the feeling, mind and phenomena, that is, internally, externally, both qualities of phenomena that are coming up, subsiding, and to the extent established the presence of body, feeling, mind, just the extent necessary for bare knowledge, jnana and mindfulness, abides independent or clinging to anything in the world. So though the sutta does also say one cultivates this walking, standing, lying down, moving around, doing one's daily duties. So it's a kind of fairly wide envelope that these factors that this process is containing. This process of internally, externally, both. Called here clearly knowing these factors are to be ardent, fully aware, sampajano, sati, mindful, able to linger, reflect, sustain, stay with it, not drop it. What one is doing, and this gives a certain consistency to the practice, even though one is moving around doing different things. So that sets up that particular model, chanting, walking, cleaning, sustaining these factors, ardent, tattapi, what is uh, 
sampajano, fully knowing, directly knowing, or clearly comprehending, mindful, noticing qualities arising, passing, both internally, externally, and not getting obsessed in details, just the extent which is necessary to sustain the body, his mind, feeling, phenomena. Phenomena can be doubt, worry, joy, gladness, collected, uncollected, so positive and negative, you might say. So it gives you a pretty wide scope to stay within. <laughs> and as we know, it's uh, sustaining practice beyond, you know, a few days of inspiration. You meet certain obstacles, just the sense of here we go again, tedium, boredom. Because the mind very easily, uh, day to day, another day, doing this, doing that, another day, and that kind of sets up a sense of continuation, becoming, continuation, becoming. This will be this, this is Tuesday, it's Wednesday, uh, here we go again. So we're not really approaching things fresh. This is pretty much a standard way that our minds work. They create patterns and they get habituated into them. To a certain extent the pattern is attractive because it creates consistency, but it also has a dulling effect. So when you live such a a routine life, monasteries, benefit being it's got steady input, Fairly steady input, but, you know, trying to just sustain that hard to be ardent, eager, interested, eager. Mm. And like many things, this uh, process is, is mm, regenerative. That is one we begin to recognize the cessation of our afflictive states. It's interesting when, when difficult states or hindering states or you know negative states pass or we're able to get past them, that itself is inspiring. So we get that ah, oh, therefore one is keen, eager. You start off with an inspiration, you know, because something is, is attracted towards composure, uh, towards uh, ethical sensitivity towards clarity, we're attracted towards that naturally. Yeah. And then we start to meet the obstacles, which are two fundamental obstacles which support the others. One is a kind of a lethargy, dullness, you just get habitual. The other's restless, can't get settled. So I get too settled, kind of sink into tedium, or can't get settled and get restless. And then around that ill will, uh, craving, Doubt start to crystallize. Am I doing the right thing? Is it really going to get me anywhere? It'd be really nice if I did this instead or fed up with that negativity. Really around this um, 
basic, you know, same problem of, of routine. So how do we make a routine not a routine? <laughs> no. Well, maybe we have uh, here every day you try to bring up first of all just brightening because it's better to be bright than dull. You know, one could just kind of start, just kind of get off in a dull way or not even get up at all, kind of just doze. And, but the sense of brightness is better than dullness. Oh, okay. Okay, you know, that lifting. Okay, how do you stay lifted? Well, there's nothing exciting to do. So we focus on offering puja, the brightening, Buddha, brightening, brightening, chanting, energy, brightening, collectedness, together, brightening, chanting, energy. It's not frantic, it's a steady lifting, 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 lifting. And using using the voice uh, to lift, and what, what it takes to get the voice, you've got to hold the body up, take deep breaths. That itself, well, everyone's chanting. If that's done in a steady way, that has a brightening effect. Well, it's better than having a dulling effect. Yeah. And of course, then we add to that you know, recollections of the awakened one, possibilities, the directness of truth, the possibilities of realization. And whatever resonances and inspiration on objects you can you know come to mind in that and again it's uh, what strikes you I've always found Vichyacharana Sampano someone who's accomplished in conduct and understanding to be a really rather attractive ennobling quality of human beings ocean like compassion find very attractive. Mm. But those recollections. And so often with this you you know you're also getting the mind to do recollecting rather than just kind of now's not the time to calm down. <laughs> now's the time to lift up, you know. And recognizing lifting up doesn't have to be frantically straining, it can be a gentle, steady, sustaining lifting, which is helped by some inspiring sign, which you recollect, bring to mind repeatedly, and then rise to that, lift your heart to it. You can get your voice behind it, that's even better, because then you hear it. You hear the sound, and the sound has got a, you know, it, it emphasizes. And what it takes to create that sound, chanting, requires a steady body, good breath, openness, intent, focus, right there. So this is always standard in, well, in monasteries anyway. I used to do this, I did this even when I was on pilgrimage in India every day. You know, just because again, you're sort of sitting in some graveyard, 
or you've been sleeping the night, just find someone that is damp and cold. You get up and you go, good day. Get your little wood around, put it on a rock somewhere and start <laughs> rising. Because it's better than not rising. <laughs> Since the days are going to happen anyway, you know, just getting up grumpy and, and not good. So you get up and left it. End of the day, had a difficult day, hungry, tired, sore, confused. Okay, just put up, rise. Heart can be taken out of this world of, of circumstance. Yeah. And you can do it, and you can do it in a wilderness when you can do it on the road. Uh, and I'm sure you can do it. <laughs> New Kuti or in your room wherever you are. Mm. So just because this is, you know, the recognition. If you don't have an inspiring sign, what sign are you going to pick up? Your mind's going to pick up something, right? It's not going to be a state of open, you know, <laughs> with nothing going on. Something's going to be going on. <laughs> so. What's the sign you're going to pick up? Is it, oh, grey, rain, uh, yeah, another day. Pick up that? No thanks. Yeah, so, pick that up before, particularly before the circumstances start rolling in. Uh, to be, one is ardent, eager. And recognising just how precarious the mind can be. It can just slip off kilter and uh, go into some fantasy daydream, proliferation, grudge, worry. It's like a, something caught in a vortex being swept downstream. Some Pajano translated in different ways. I've seen it translated as clear comprehension. There's three parts of that word. Anya. Anya is knowing. Paj is thoroughly knowing. And some is completely. So thoroughly, completely, directly. You know, it's making a strong point that you're really getting it. So this means it's not just thinking about something. You know, you may think something or bring up a thought, but then you you move from that thought of Buddha or whatever it's you've picked up, and then thoroughly knowing it directly, how does this feel? So you move into the world of direct experience. What does that mean? It means what's touching the heart. Is it strained? Is it slack? Yeah. How's that? What's happening? Mm. Mm. Fully sensing that with a sense of purpose, there's something to be realised within this, something to be noticed within this, something to be wary of in this. Mm. Mm. 
And within this we begin to recognize, yeah, the phenomena that which one can discern and sense and feel are always shifting and moving. That's important. Sometimes they're not great, sometimes they're unpleasant. Sometimes they're just nothing special. Sometimes quite pleasant. But they're always moving and welling up and subsiding. Notice the endings of things. Ending of a thought, ending of a breath, a waning, and then rising. This is uh, considered a key to liberation. It's kind of one of the three doors, three portals to liberation. Only jump, changeability. Because it means if we contemplate, if that's if one is fully directly aware of that, phenomena themselves are something one is not finding. They may support composure, but that's that's fragile. Because phenomena keep shifting. What supports it is a sense of clear awareness of phenomena, which is slightly. So the mood or the feeling or the bodily impression or the state of vigour or whatever, that changes what we're you know, inclining towards is what doesn't change. Is the, the awareness of these phenomena can be consistent. Jnana. So it said, you know, one cultivates this mindfulness of body, feeling and so forth, just the extent that's necessary to establish bare knowing. Bare knowing means it's no longer mine, uh, it's not an alternative, it's not, uh, it's like this but it could be like that, and it's essentially it's not mine, because that mine is an addition. What actually happens is what happens. There is experience of embodiment, which we take personally, of course. Mind even more personally, my mind. And the phenomena, because the phenomena rising it can have a certain familiarity to it and intimacy to it. So whatever's familiar and intimate, that's me, isn't it? And there's the problem, familiarity, it's me again. So important to notice and become dispassionate towards the familiar, familiar habits. Sometimes change them. Or become dispassionate towards the familiar mind states and psychologies you have to begin to know yourself in order to get beyond yourself know that one's tendency to go into negativity or feel frustrated or 
get intense and agitated or you know, uh, spin out into proliferations or trying to make everything work perfectly, take responsibility for everything or take responsibility for nothing. <laughs> you know, you begin to know your own flavour. That's me, all right. Yeah. And then that's the point of insight, is that this is mind, is a mental phenomenon. And adding more of that intensification effect when we identify with something. Dispassion. And because the mind is so, uh, can get so woven up, because the mind uh, tends to add its energy, something that occurs, mind, my ideas, my life, my future, it's got a certain deep resonance to it, glow to it, intensity to it, meaning, purpose, this is me, it's important, yeah. But getting intense about it throws a whole lot of weight into it. That means you lose your composure, your clarity, your freedom, your agility. You become too heavy, too self-obsessed. And this is certainly a problem for can occur in meditation because you're spending a lot of time with me. And the aim is to be fully aware of the me and what it brings up and the me programs and the me psychologies, but not intensive, not adding more energy to them. So it's that witnessing. And there's something more fulfilling, less compulsive, less predictable. Because the me sense is exactly that which creates familiarity, which gets into a rut, which becomes an obsession, which becomes deadening. Mm. And there's something that seeks that. Get into the familiar so I don't have, I can just run automatic. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock, seven o'clock, Wednesday, Tuesday, feed the dog, milk the cow, whatever. <laughs> da, 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 and I know where I am. It's so innocuous, but it is, is deadening. So one is alert to that. Something precious can be lost here, freedom. Mm-hmm. So the aim is emptying. It is no longer adding more passion or intensity to phenomena, to ideas, to plans, to programs, to projects, to routines, to this, that, and the other. Okay. So that means every time it's new. Uh-huh. We can be seemingly doing the same thing from the outside, looks like it, and yet 
you're not. You approach it freshly, with clarity. Because that's possible. And it's not just possible, it's the thing that is the gateway to freedom. Because in that freshness, there's also something that's not about circumstances, it's not about programs, it's not about conditions, it's something free of that. And this is the quality on a very mundane level, just stops us going crazy and becoming robots. Either just get overloaded because you're carrying so much stuff of right and this and you've got to do that, got to be this, got to be that. Remember, you've got to have somewhere which just um, stop. Yeah. Or you get robotic. Sila, Atta Paramasa, stuck in systems and customs. Um, there's something that can understand, can notice that, can begin to get that. This is the taste of freedom. So instead of necessarily even changing circumstances, you know, something new, somewhat different, it's changing one's response to circumstances. It's a change. Let's be with even the seemingly most consistent things. If you look at them, you experience them directly are changing. No. You look at the land, something as solid as the earth, and it's different at eight o'clock than it is at five past eight. The light changes. The textures of the sky change, colours change. Things move. Even something seemingly solid as the earth directly experiences it going constant change. Mountains change. Look at it. One minute it's got this light on it, next minute this light changes, shifting. Directly known, not just conceived of, it, everything is changing. You stand still. Within that experience of the body standing still, you feel different pulsations. Texture of the body is just gently pulsing. Sensations run through it. But even just the fact of body, earth element, if you directly sense it, is subtly changing pressures and so forth. Yeah, most of the time we, we live within an abstract idea of the body. Oh, body, arms, legs, clothes, get out of the door, so forth. Feed it. Which is also true, and yet deadening. So, because of that deadening, Average person seeks constant stimulation, liven it up a bit, dress it up, 
bounce around in it, go out for a jaunt, you know, light it up. So, and then the whole process of intoxication gets going and restlessness. Without the restlessness, without something to do, people start to feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, when we had the lockdown, just even not being able to go out or not go out very much, very, very difficult for many people. Because normally they go out, go down to the pub, go for a meal, watch a movie, you know, go out somewhere, see somebody, and then stop. Monasteries, you just, oh, oh, quiet. Kind of quite comfortable actually. You've got Dharma practice. And so you see how fragile it is when one's leaning, resting on circumstances that can, in a matter of days, shift. And no refuge. But within this very body, experience changing phenomena, also experience that which knows changing phenomena, which is the whole point of it. Dukkha. One is aware of gate to liberation called Dukkha, recognizing the incompleteness of circumstances, conditions. They're always running on, they're never quite finished, they're always loose ends. It's one sort of just get that sorted out, everything be alright, nope. Just tidy that up and then things will be open. nope. Well just fix that and then oops, no, it's broken. Nice and comfortable, oh, trees blown down. Okay. You know, get that sorted out and then we'll the next thing. <laughs> Things are going fine and I've got this sniffle. Seemed pretty good. He was in harmony and sounds was having a bad day. Well one day we'll get it all nice and sorted out and everything will be fine. Nope. <laughs> but uh, that's that's the sign. Uh, unsatisfactory, incomplete, unsettled sometimes extremely painful. But uh, the understanding is that doesn't have to be taken in. So there's what's called the dukkha da dukkha, dukkha of things being unsatisfactory, viparinama dukkha, the dukkha of things shifting and changing, not being constant, and the sankata dukkha, which is the dukkha, we, the struggle that we internalize over trying to make things complete, finished, tidy, satisfied, comfortable, agreeable. Not that you want to make them disagreeable, but just how much is necessary to maintain mindfulness? How much do you need to find your own clarity? Because you're looking to make that as little as possible. 
greater freedom. There's little you know, concern about the unsatisfactory conditions because they are this way. So uh, we begin to consider, well, I don't feel that great, I'm inspired, but at least I'm not in pain. One day I will be. I don't feel that fantastic, but at least I'm not a fever. One day I will be. Listen, you know, I'm, um, you know, people are not the greatest people in the world, but one day you'll be surrounded by, <laughs> you know, people being difficult. So, mm, better practice now, rather than wait for things to get right. One day you'll be in your deathbed, be a bit late then. And sometimes people ask me, well, what do you practice when you're dying? I said, look, if you haven't practiced but right now, it's a bit late to start then. <laughs> You practice now because you're dying now. <laughs> it just hasn't got critical yet, but you're doing it now, right? What does that, what does that mean? I mean, you don't hold on. You're not planning the future. You're not hoping someday it'll be better. And now it's like this. So that that rather unpleasant sign, dukkha, is actually a liberation. It's something that just keeps your fingers off, gripping. There's returns. The idea is not to say everything is miserable, but there is that, and I'm not taking it in. Or I'm leaning to see how I take it in my struggle, my wishes, my, yeah, it would be nice if, yeah, but okay. How much can you do before you lose balance and composure? And a composure is not about things themselves being stable, but your ability to be present with the conflicting, the disagreeable. What's that? This is where the clear knowing and jnana begins to, you know, present itself as an alternative. Anatta not self, third portal to liberation. So it's, it's three aspects. We chant the meso, not meso. This is not me. The meat, the meat, not ahang, not I. Not myself, me, I, myself. So me is a, is the experience of things happening to me. And so we contemplate who's the me who feels things, who's the me who gets touched by things. Well, it's kind of the body, or touching your body, or contact arises, something touches the heart. Heart is contact and feeling. Contact feeling, that's rising of energy. That rising of energy, when contact happens, 
that experience is is sense that oh that, that happened to me. <laughs> you know, something that didn't touch my heart, didn't cause that, it's just oh okay, this is something happened. It's a shame something happened. But when that feeling arises and that change of energy happened to me or mine my house blew down somebody else's house blew down well that's a shame (laughs) but my house blew down oh no (laughs) it's mine it's me, that's where I am happened to me, happened to mine you know people are dying all the time but when a mind dies, that's, a, that's definitely a major issue. The feeling flares up, the contact is there, and it's mine, there's huge waves of agitation. And then, you know, so when a mind went. And how much of it, if it was, you know, is it mine? Is any of it? What does that mean? It means. I can control it, I can own it, I can possess it, I can guarantee it. Well, take a look at that. Clearly comprehending, fully aware, mindful. Even its very body. I mean, it requires consistency because this, these tendencies are so ingrained, so established. It's often emotionally quite challenging. It's really. But what is your refuge is this clear knowing. And certainly, probably most of us get some sense of reaction when one bit of me or bit of mine breaks up. Okay, maybe that's also just what happens. You know, the system just beginning to react, and that also is that. It's not me or mine. Mm. Now these responses and reactions become myself. You know, my wanting to make everything work. My, yeah, I mean, I would say that's something that's there for me, I'd like to make things better, more useful, cleaner, tidier, purposeful, effective, so forth. Yes, that's me, all right. That's my <laughs> and yet, you know, okay, but it's, as I say, failure keeps me sane. Everyday failing, everyday failing, feel good. But still, heart there, doesn't matter, because skillful dhammas are arising, results, can't predict them, can't guarantee them, but still, skillful dhammas arising, steady, persistent, results, who knows. In the circumstantial world, results here, is the mind is bright, steady, aspiring, vigorous, not bowed. Endlessly beaten, but never bowed.
This is just circumstances. And that's the kind of uh, um, thing you begin to, to uh, discern. That ability to persist and sustain when actually realize the circumstantial world is dukkha, but it doesn't check your clarity or your harmfulness. Whereas if one takes it as mine, or even the attitudes one brings up as mine, then it, it becomes burdensome, heavy, frustrating. So something doesn't have to necessarily result in the way you know that I want it to in terms of phenomena, in terms of external phenomena. Hanging on to that, trying to build something out of that. Or even internal phenomena, sometimes the mind settles and sometimes it doesn't. And this is a learning place because you can get to Oh, I am calm, I'm not, I'm like this, I'm never like that, I can't be this, I can't be that, something wrong. Or you can say, okay, well, breathing in, breathing out, standing, sitting, walking. Sustain this persistence. And the phenomena rise up and challenge you. And you just keep steady. And they begin to wane. Bits of your, you know, Psychologies change either, you know, that which searches for immediate results, that which gives up. Oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, enough. This isn't going to work. That kind of mind's not going to go anywhere, is it? Useful. It's better to keep steady and keep giving up. And look at the choices. And which gives rise to that bare knowing, this is just the mind. This is just phenomena moving. Stay steady. Keep the knowing. And what supports it? Attapi, ardha, sampajana, clearly comprehending. Mindful to the extent to knows this is the mind. Factors arising. Factors passing. Internally mind internally, its substance, its inner workings externally, the way the mind runs out into plans and ideas, the world around us, the world of time, which is all that, colouring the world of time and place. What time? Mind creates a future and then suffers over it. That's 
when the external mind is not guarded. And held with reference to the internal qualities of settledness or aspiration or restlessness, then it runs out into, well, there and sometime in the future, uh, I was, I will be, should be, I could be, I will be, I will be, running out. And then, you know, restlessness or negativity. So we contemplate internally, externally. No, this is the this is the mind. This is chitta, and that dispassion begins to reduce the intensity of it. Intensity. It doesn't matter so much. Less reactivity, less identification. And you support the mind with the body. You you just keep returning to this basis that tethers the mind. Body has no future, doesn't know what you're talking about. Only knows this. So, this kind of whole training around these postures, tethering the mind. They begin to work intimately on the restlessness or the dullness or the agitation or the fracturedness where it's scattered and it's steady, rein it in. Just the extent that's necessary to know, for full knowing. And this will definitely, over time, it's definitely you're no longer dominated by circumstances and that's a freedom internal circumstances external circumstances and this is why this is taught and we can see in this presentation the circumstances are presented in a very broad way based upon virtue okay, based upon straight view there is a consequence of good and skillful deeds. You aspire to virtue. That's right. And then within that, these foundations, moving, moving around, standing, sitting, walking, washing, cleaning, fixing things, whatever, just holding that quite livable frame of reference. And that's a immensely um, <laughs> valuable because, you know, Life goes on beyond the meditation hall, doesn't it? So you want to have something that covers all of it and keeps you alert to the present, the change, and where we get stuck. The rest is up to us. Let's take some time for direct practice. <coughs> 